Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Alexandra Zuckerman, a 2021 Discovery Poetry Contest winner, reads from Elaine Scarry's On Beauty and Being Just. To learn more from Zuckerman about her choice, check out the episode description. And now, read by Alexandra Zuckerman. Hello, this is Alexandra Zuckerman. I'm going to be reading from Elaine Scarry's scholarly work on beauty and being just, in which the external world has the power to tumultuously expose to us our errors of judgment, and wrong beliefs cannot merely be held. It seems a strange feature of intellectual life that if you question people, what is an instance of an intellectual error you have made in your life? No answer seems to come readily to mind. Somewhat better luck is achieved if you ask people, friends, students, to describe an error they have made about beauty. It may be helpful if, before proceeding, the reader stops and recalls in as much detail as possible an error he or she has made so that another instance can be placed on the page in conjunction with the few about to be described. It may be useful to record the error or the revision in as much detail as is possible, because I want to make claims here about the way an error presents itself to the mind, and the accuracy of what I say needs alternative instances to be tested against. The error may be a misunderstanding in the reader of Schiller's ninth letter in his Aesthetic Education of Man, or a misreading of page 11 in Kant's third critique, but the question is more directly aimed at errors and revisions that have arisen in day-to-day life. In my own case, for example, I had ruled out palm trees as objects of beauty, and then one day discovered I had made a mistake. Those who remember making an error about beauty usually also recall the exact second when they realize they had made an error. The revisionary moment comes as a perceptual slap or slam that itself has emphatic sensory properties. Emily Dickinson's poem, It Dropped So Low, In My Regard, I Heard It Hit the Ground, is an instance. A correction in perception takes place as an abrasive crash. Though it has the sound of breaking plates, what is shatteringly loud is the perception itself. It dropped so low in my regard, I heard it hit the ground and go to pieces on the stones at bottom of my mind. The concussion is not just acoustic but kinesthetic. Her own brain is the floor against which the felt impact takes place. The same is true of Shakespeare's lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. The correction, the alteration in the perception, is so palpable that it is as though the perception itself, rather than its object, lies rotting in the brain. In both cases, the perception has undergone a radical alteration. It breaks apart, as in breaking plates, or disintegrates, as in the festering flower. 
and in both cases the alteration is announced by a striking sensory event, a loud sound, an awful smell. Even if the alteration in perception were registered not as the sudden introduction of a negative sensation, but as the disappearance of the positive sensory attributes the thing had when it was beautiful, the moment might be equally stark and highly etched. Gerard Manley Hopkins confides calmly, cruelly to someone he once loved that his love has now almost disappeared. He offers as a final clarifying analogy what happens when a poem, once held to be beautiful, ceases to be so. Is this made plain? What have I come across that here will serve me for comparison? The septic disappointment and the loss a boy feels when the poet he pours upon grows less and less sweet to him and knows no cause. No loud sound or bad smell could make this more devastating. But why? In part because what is so positive is here being taken away. Sweet is a taste, a smell, a sound. The word of all words closest to the fresh and easy call of a bird. And conveying a belovedness, an acuity of regard, as effortless and unasked for as honeysuckle or sweet William. Fading, one might hope, could conceivably take place as a merciful numbing, a dulling of perception, or a turning away to other objects of attention. But the shades of fading here take place under the scrutiny of bright consciousness, the mind registering in technicolor each successive nuance of its own bereavement. Hopkins' boy, with full acuity, leans into, pours upon the lesson and the lessening. Those who recall making an error in beauty inevitably describe one of two genres of mistake. The first, as in the lines of Dickinson, Shakespeare, and Hawkins, is the recognition that something formerly held to be beautiful no longer deserves to be so regarded. The second is the sudden recognition that something from which the attribution of beauty had been withheld deserves all along to be so denominated. Of these two genres of error, the second seems more grave. In the first, the error of overcrediting, the mistake occurs on the side of perceptual generosity. In the second, the error of undercrediting, on the side of a failed generosity. Doubting the severity of the first genre of error does not entail calling into question the pain the person feels in discovering her mistake. She has lost the beautiful object in the same way as if it had remained beautiful but had suddenly moved out of her reach, leaving her stranded, betrayed. In actuality, the faithful object has remained within reach, but with the subtraction of all attributes that would ignite the desire to lay hold of it. By either path, the desirable object has vanished, leaving the brain bereft. The uncompromising way in which errors in beauty make themselves felt is equally visible in the second, more severe genre of intellectual error, where something not regarded as beautiful suddenly alerts you to your error. A better description of the moment of instruction might be to say, 
Something you did not hold to be beautiful suddenly turns up in your arms, arrayed in full beauty, because the force and pressure of the revision is exactly as though it is happening one quarter inch from your eyes. One lets things into one's midst without accurately calculating the degree of consciousness required by them. It is as though when you are about to walk out onto a ledge, you had contracted to carry something, and only once out on the precipice did you realize that the object weighed 100 pounds. How one walks through the world, the endless small adjustments of balance is affected by the shifting weights of beautiful things. Here the alternatives posed a moment ago about the first genre of error, where the beautiful object vanished not because the still-beloved object itself disappeared, carrying its beauty with it, but because the object stayed behind with its beauty newly gone, are reversed. In the second genre of error, a beautiful object is suddenly present, not because a new object has entered the sensory horizon bringing its beauty with it, as when a new poem is written or a new student arrives, or a willow tree unleafed by winter becomes electric, a maze of yellow wands lifting against lavender clabbards and skies, but because an object already within the horizon has its beauty like late luggage suddenly placed in your hands. This second genre of error entails neither the arrival of a new beautiful object, nor an object present but previously unnoticed, but an object present and confidently repudiated as an object of beauty. My palm tree is an example Suddenly, I am on a balcony, and its huge swaying leaves are before me at eye level, arcing, arcing, waving, cresting, and breaking in the soft air, throwing the yellow sunlight up over itself and catching it on the other side, running its fingers down its own piano keys, then running them back up again, shuffling and dealing glittering decks of aqua, green, yellow, and white. It is everything I have always loved, fern-like, feather-like, fan-like, open, lustrously in love with air and light. The vividness of the palm states the acuity with which I feel the air, a kind of dread conveyed by the words, how many, how many other airs lie like broken plates or flowers on the floor of my mind. I pour over the floor but cannot see much surface since all the space is taken up by the fallen tree trunk, the big clumsy thing with all its leaves stuffed into one shaft. But there may be other things down under there. When you make an error in beauty, it should set off small alarms and warning lights. Instead, it waits until you are standing on a balcony for the flashing sword dance to begin. Night comes and I am still on the balcony. Under the moonlight, my palm tree waves and sprays needles of black, silver, and white. Hundreds of shimmering lines circle and play and stay in perfect parallel.
Y's Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's 92Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to 92Y's Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92Y.org slash help now to donate to support 92Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redbye.